Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us today at Heritage Events Live. It's my pleasure to welcome you to a conversation about why conservatives must lead in solving Americans' healthcare problems. We have a great panel and event for you today, and I'm thrilled to start by showing you a video by former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. I wanna thank the Heritage Foundation and President Kay James for once again inviting me over to chat with you about a very important topic. I think the project uh, that conservatives must lead on solving our healthcare crisis is exactly right. Uh, and if conservatives don't lead, frankly, we are gonna end up drifting gradually, inevitably, into a totally bureaucratic, inefficient, and in many ways corrupt system, dominated by government and by really big institutions that follow the principles of crony capitalism. As long as they take care of themselves, they don't care about the customer. I think this is a really important opportunity, and I think that we live in an era where the breakthroughs potentially in extending life and in extending uh, our ability to have healthy lives is really, really important. In a way, you can think of health span, staying healthy your entire life, as a replacement for thinking only about lifespan, where you may not be dead, but you're sitting in a nursing home, you're unable to do anything. In this context, reforming the health system, rethinking it really matters. And that's why I think what Jim Banks has done at the study committee is really an important step in the right direction. His article on why Republicans must lead on health care should be a must read by everybody who cares about solving the nation's problems. I'm also delighted that John Goodman, who we've worked with for many years, is going to be on a panel here with you today. Uh, I should also point out, by the way, that the Job Creators Network has a very important and useful health care for you program. Uh, and in addition to the fine work being done by the Job Creators Network, it's important to remember that right here at Heritage, where we're having this meeting and talking about the future of healthcare, there is a healthcare choices plan developed by Heritage and a number of associated groups. And so a lot of groundwork has been laid. Here's the core of it. We have an ability to give power to the individual by making sure that we have transparency of price and of quality. We have the ability to incentivize the individual by rethinking our entire approach to health insurance and making sure that every person has an interest economically as well as personally in their health system. We have an ability, I think, using modern technology to allow you to be in control of your destiny by knowing what things are gonna cost, knowing how well they've worked out in the past, having a real sense of what well, is this the right doctor, is this the right hospital, is this the right outcome? And that's gonna take really serious re-engineering. And the reason's simple. You have a kind of crony capitalism where the big insurance companies who really have become almost public utilities thanks to the way Obamacare was structured, the big hospitals which are increasingly dominant in their communities and which are increasingly interested only in their own economic future, not primarily in serving the public, but primarily in serving themselves. So you end up with a collection of bigs, a big pharma, big medical technology, big hospitals, you know, big insurance companies, big government. Well, all those collude with each other 
not focused on you, not focused on your health, not focused on the breakthroughs. In fact, in some cases, killing the breakthroughs because they're a direct economic threat. So we today have what I would call a suboptimal system, one that doesn't deliver the best care, doesn't deliver the least expensive care, and doesn't deliver the most convenient care. I think this conference and similar efforts to make sure that conservatives have a very simple courage. Apply the principles of a free market, even if it makes some of your donors and some of your allies unhappy. And this will end up being a fight between the K Street lobbyists, the crony capitalists, the socialists who love big bureaucracy, and all the rest of us. And the key is going to be, and I think Heritage is a great place to start this struggle, the key is going to be to help the average American have the best possible choices and not focus on the big interest groups with their lobbyists and their political action committees and their desire to protect themselves. So I want to commend Heritage. I want to commend Jim Banks. I think you're going to have a very important day, and I'm very honored to be part of it. Well, thank you for that. Inspiring remarks that, that remind us about the need to focus on this important issue. So with that, I'd like to turn to Congressman Representative Jim Banks. Now, you are the head of the Republican Study Committee in the House of Representatives, and you entered Congress in the year that Republicans tried and failed to repeal and replace Obamacare. And you've just put out a great analysis published on the Daily Signal about learning the lessons from what worked and could have gone a lot better uh, in that experience. And Mr. Gingrich just called it a must read. So I encourage everyone to take a look at that after this um, event today. But you know, why don't you start us off by helping us understand why you thought it was important to do this analysis? What lessons do you think we should learn from the experiences of 2017? Well, first of all, thank you for doing this. Um, I, I appreciate the Heritage Foundation, all the important work that you do by the way, Republican Study Committee was founded almost 50 years ago, and since its founding, it has had a relationship with the Heritage Foundation, which was founded around the same time. There's been a partnership between these groups that are, that are historically important and perhaps no more important than what it is today as we work together on important issues like this. As you said, I came to Congress in 2017 at the same time that Donald Trump came to Washington and uh, became became president uh, on January 20th. And um, I, re I remember thinking in that moment, uh, coming coming to Washington, running as a candidate in the in the historic 2016 election cycle. I, re I remember thinking that if if Donald Trump wins the presidency as he did, and Republicans have the majority in the House and the Senate, we're going to have a heck of an opportunity to do a lot of things that Republicans have promised to do for a long time, and that I would have an opportunity to be a part of that history. And I couldn't have been any more wrong when it came to one of the biggest pledges that Republicans have been making at that point for nearly a decade to repeal Obamacare. And you have to remember, when we came to Washington, that, that freshman class of Republicans that I was a part of, Donald Trump in the White House, Paul Ryan as Speaker of the House, Mitch McConnell, the leader in the Senate, uh, Donald Trump and House Republicans had determined that health care would be our, our first and top priority. I'm not sure if Donald Trump came to Washington thinking that, but House Republicans convinced him that that would be our first objective. So I wrongly assumed that that meant that I was walking into a situation where Republicans had it figured out. And why did why we wrote, why Republican Study Committee published the introspective piece that we did that Speaker Gingrich talked about in the Daily Signal, we, we published that now because we are doomed to repeat the same mistakes if we don't look back at 2017 and what went wrong then to make sure that when we get 
the majority back in the House, when a Republican wins the White House in 2024, and we have a majority in the Senate, let's not repeat the same mistakes that I walked into in 2017. If I could just briefly expand on that, what am I talking about? I'm talking about what I walked into in 2017 was, and what I wrongly, uh, what I misunderstood in the moment was that we had a bad process at work. We had Republican leaders who weren't on the same page with the bulk of the Republican conference and the majority. Um, Speaker Ryan at the time was negotiating with the, the Freedom Caucus, the Tuesday group, and the at the time the Republican Study Committee was, was involved in, in that process as well, but there wasn't consensus among a majority of the rank and file members of the Republican Party. So first of all, a bad process. Second, secondly, we had a we we really had a uh, uh, we 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 really uh, not not just a process but bad preparation. Now beforehand, uh, while while the process with reconciliation was poorly misunderstood, leading up to that point, there clearly wasn't a game plan. Right? We took the majority. Donald Trump was inaugurated on January 20th. So bad process, not any preparation for that point. And then I think thirdly, as I write about in the Daily Signal piece, we really had the wrong posture. I mean, it was it was all about being against Obamacare, but Republicans really fell flat on their face and not providing a posture about what we were for. And all, all of that to summarize, I'm chairman of Republican Study Committee, the largest conservative caucus on Capitol Hill. We have 154 members in RSC today out of the 200 and and uh, 13 or 14 of the majority, which changes day by day as members uh, quit or move on or whatnot. So we have a, uh, about, about uh, uh, three-fourths of the Republican conference, two-thirds of three-fourths of the Republican conference in the Republican Study Committee. We meet on a weekly basis, and we have task forces who, who get together and meet and talk about policy. We are a conservative group that's focused on policy. We have a, we have a task force whose job and focus is to prepare for the moment when we get the majority back and when we have a Republican in the White House. That task force is led by Chip Roy from Texas. And we have a broad range of a dozen or more of our members who are, who help to them, healthcare is a top priority, working together and meeting and talking about not just our, our plan, but also the tactics that we need to employ to pass that plan when, when we have the, when the tide turns, we have the majority and we have an a window of opportunity like we did in 2017 when we failed. And, and speak a bit more, you, you went into um, some of the core failures. Some say uh, conservatives have other things to focus on and perhaps other things they might do better at. Uh, you have a clear vision for why it matters that conservatives engage in healthcare. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, well, it, it, it matters to everybody. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad of, with three daughters, 11, nine, and seven years old. My wife and I, we talk about healthcare issues all the time. We're fortunate. Um, but I, my, in my office, I receive phone calls from constituents every single day who struggle with making ends meet uh, because of rising healthcare costs as a result of the Affordable Care Act that passed in, in 2010. I mean, this is an issue that consistently pulls if not at the top, among the top three issues in every congressional district in the country, whether you're represented by a Republican or a Democrat. The debate that we've seen really over the past two to, to three years after the 2017 uh, failure on Republicans' part is over uh, Medicare for All, the, the, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Medicare for All plan, Ber the Bernie Sanders so Socialized Medicine 
plans um, where the Democrats are pushing this issue even further and, and further to the left of what they passed in 2010 with the Affordable Care Act on, on Barack Obama's watch, Republicans have consistently failed to provide our own positive image of what we stand for. And, and that's what Republican Study Committee aims to fix. I mean, we are, our, our job is to, create, is to write the plan and then develop the, the, the right structure, the tactics, the strategy that it will take to pass that plan when we get the majority back and when, when a Republican wins the White House, which, by the way, I feel more confident, more and more confident about that scenario happening in the 2024 election every single day as the Democrat Party moves and tilts further to the left. But if we don't prepare for that moment, like Republicans fail to prepare uh, leading up to the, to the 2016 election, then we're going to repeat the same mistake over again. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a, a really thoughtful um, assessment of sort of the overview and then the deep dive things that need to occur to achieve that, that vision you're laying out. Um, say a little bit more about what you think it's going to take uh, for conservatives to figure out both how to, to lead on healthcare in the future, excuse me, in this moment, and then govern when that moment arrives that you're seeing uh, on the horizon. Well, I'll never forget being a freshman lawmaker in 2017, immediately taking office, Donald Trump being inaugurated, and again, the healthcare issue was our first and top priority to re repeal Obamacare. There was a, you might remember, there was a, there was a false start. We had the, the American Health Care Act, right, which was controversial from the outset. You had, you had a lot of conservative members who were against it. At Republican Study Committee, I was on the Republican Study Committee steering committee or the board at the time. We met with President Trump and offered him a platform of ideas to make the bill better. And by doing so, we moved the bill, we inched the bill uh, a little bit in the right direction. So most of us got on board and supported the American Health Care Act, but it was a wounded bill from the outset. And, and of course, culminating in the infamous, after it, after it was on the floor once in the House and failed, I think, by one vote, and then Speaker Ryan brought it back to the floor. There was the MacArthur Amendment. Uh, there was a Gary Palmer Amendment. There were other amendments that were trying to address some of the, 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 the big uh, handicaps of the bill over the, you know, the Democrats seizing on the um, on the uh, issues surrounding um, pre-existing conditions and sort of the and the media uh, really latching on to some of the the left-wing narrative about the bill. So it was a wounded bill from the outset, culminating in the the John McCain thumbs down moment on the floor of the Senate that killed the entire effort and uh, and the reconciliation package, which is a key part of what we did wrong and not fully understanding uh, the reconciliation process when we got the majority. So, um, but I, I'll never forget the, the media narrative about pre-existing conditions and Republicans not being prepared to address it and answer questions about how we were, how we were taking care of those with pre-existing conditions. And I'll never forget how powerful the, the, the lobbyists for the hospital groups, for the insurance companies, the, 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 the big lobbyists that were that were really had too much control over the process. And to answer your question in a roundabout way, what's it going to take for Republicans to own the health care issue and do the right thing when we get the majority back and when we have a Republican in the White House? It's going to take backbone. And, I, and I'll tell you, I believe the Republican Party today has a lot more backbone after four years of Donald Trump being in the White House. Overall, most of our members in the House of Representatives were elected like I was with Donald Trump or after Donald Trump was in the White House. And we learned a lot of lessons from President Trump about backbone and, and pushing back against special interest groups that want to water down important pieces of legislation, especially 
related to healthcare so that we can help people, help, help our constituents, help, help families who are struggling. That's what it's going to take, I believe, more than anything. And I know, you know, Speaker Gingrich talked about this a little bit ago as well. Be, uh, being the type of Republican Party that, that resists uh, those special interest groups that want to take over these healthcare efforts and make, make healthcare less affordable, less accessible, less personalized toward the needs of Americans, America's working families. That's the, the Republican Party that pushes back against that as a Republican Party that I want to be a part of. Well, you've definitely laid out quite a vision and, and uh, quite a set of strategic steps to achieve it. Is there anything I should have asked you that you wanted me to, to put on the table? Well, we need to continue to work together. More than anything, now is the time to prepare. Because if you think about it, um, this is what Republicans didn't do well enough leading up to 2016, 20, 2013, 14, and 15. Republicans should have been preparing for that moment, and they and they didn't. And uh, we we have a we have a moral responsibility as conservatives right now and. 2021 to think about what are we going to do when we when we take back the majorities when we when we, when we have a president in the White House who wants to address health care uh, and and do something about it and have a have a vision to do so we need to be preparing for that moment right now and I'm glad that the Republican Study Committee is having the opportunity to prepare for that with the Heritage Foundation and others. Well, thank you so much. It it is important work as you say. Um, and the commitment we have from you to to lead on this issue to bring so many of your colleagues to focus on it is really important and will set the groundwork for, for a hopefully a better future. So thank you for coming over today and sharing your vision. Um, the piece is on the Daily Signal. Um, we will provide this at the end of the event so that you can have access to it well, as well It's definitely a must read. Thanks for coming over today. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, now we are gonna turn to our panel discussion. So I'd invite our panelists to come on screen and on stage while I tell you a little bit about them. We have a panel that has worked on healthcare issues for a long time. Uh, Dean Clancy, who is currently with Americans for Prosperity. John Goodman, who is the author of many books, a longtime healthcare economist. Um, the most recent book, A New Way to Care. We have Doug Badger, who is a fellow at Heritage. And we have Dan Ziegler, who is the staff director at the Republican Study Committee under Representative Banks. So Dan, um, we heard uh, a really compelling vision just now from your boss. Um, tell us a bit more at a, um, uh, maybe take us down a bit more about why should we care about this issue? Yeah, so I'll start where the, the chairman kind of finished there. He talked about a moral responsibility, and I think that's the, the right way to be thinking about it. Um, healthcare is very personal. It often, is the issue that uh, people are thinking about in some of their most vulnerable times. Uh, and you know, I think that, that should bring clarity to us in terms of what kind of responsibility we have in, in dealing with it. Um, it's an issue that you know, we should be passionate about, uh, we should be confident about, um, we should be d demonstrating that we care uh, uh, about this issue because we care about people. Uh, if we don't care about people, I'm not sure what we're doing here. Um, we should be going out and fighting for them. Um, and uh, you know, there, I think we have a a moral, as you said, a moral responsibility to do that. Um, you know, one of the things that we're we're doing this week, uh, we're you know, the chairman and about a couple dozen of our members are writing a letter to the uh, couple of the, the big hospital associations, uh, pushing back on the fact that they're 
you know, not necessarily complying with the Trump uh, price transparency rule. Um, you know, I think that we're demonstrating that, you know, we're fighting for the American people. So they have the information they, they need to be able to make the kind of decisions that they, uh, you know, uh, can make to be able to make good informed healthcare decisions. And then from a political perspective, the chairman touched on this a little bit too, uh, you know, healthcare is one of the top two or three uh, issues um, in every election cycle and it has been for, you know, as many election cycles back as I can think. And so if that doesn't, you know, bring it to the forefront uh, and make it one of the top reasons that we need to focus on it, I'm not sure what else would. Um, but unfortunately, I think in many ways, we've accepted the other side's framing on these issues. We've, we've gotten ourselves into a defensive posture and there's a narrative that, you know, Republicans can't win on healthcare. Well, I, you know, I, I reject that. I, I think, um, you know, we have, a, again, a moral responsibility to, you know, make this a top issue and, and make a, bring a compelling case to the American people. And if we don't, you know, what's the, what's the outcome? Like our failure to connect with people uh, on this is gonna open the door and has opened the door uh, for the other side to make advances on their side. And they're, uh, unfortunately, they've been able to convince maybe more people than ever that, you know, a government takeover of healthcare, uh, you know, is more, maybe more appealing. Um, you know, those are dangerous ideas. And those are not ideas that uh, we certainly, whatever think are, you know, are acceptable. Um, but, you know, we have to do our job to, you know, uh, push back uh, that, you know, that we have a, an alternative, that we have a vision, uh, that we care about people and that we want to, uh, you know, demonstrate that. So um, if that isn't, doesn't make it serious, if it doesn't, you know, bring the responsibility uh, forward for us, I'm not sure what would. Thank you, Dan. That's bringing a lot into focus. And you, you touched a bit on the left's ideas. Um, you know, which all center to some flavor of expanding government's role in healthcare. Um, you know, John, what I'd like to turn to our full panel right now. John, what is the problem with some of the left's ideas to expand the role of government, whether it's bigger Obamacare, whether it's uh, public options to, to compete against a government-run plan, or in fact, outlawing private coverage and putting this all in a government-run plan? John, what you've, you've talked so much and researched so much about the impact of healthcare policy on on patients and people, what's what's wrong with these ideas for patients? Well, what's wrong with conservatives uh, is the way they talk about healthcare. And if we don't talk about healthcare in a way that relates to problems of real people, we're just not gonna be successful. And if you think about Obamacare for a moment, what are the two biggest problems that everybody in Obamacare has? They are facing sky high deductibles, which for many, uh, don't really count as real insurance at all, and very narrow networks, which exclude the best doctors and the, and the best hospitals. You know, last year, a family of three, if you add together the premium, uh, the average premium and the average deductible, they had to spend $22,000 before they got any benefit at all from their insurance. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's not real insurance to, uh, to most people. Uh, and on the networks, um, the Democrats talk about taking care of people with pre-existing conditions, but uh, they're not helping you if you're in a network where you can't see the best doctors or the best hospitals. Here in Dallas, where I live, um, you cannot buy individual insurance that gets you into University of Texas Southwestern Medical School, which is probably the best medical research facility in the whole world, but you can't get in uh, with Obamacare. Uh, down in Houston, MD Anderson Cancer Center is one of the best uh, cancer centers in the whole country. They don't take Obamacare. So the Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, we can go all across the country 
and um, and people with Obamacare insurance are excluded uh, from these from these facilities. So if we don't talk about what we're going to do about these problems, then we're not talking to to real people. Now the thing I like about the Trump administration is they brought new issues to bear, things that a lot of us hadn't thought about. But because of the good work of the Trump administration folks, seniors can now talk to their doctors on the phone. Uh, they can have uh, consultations in their own home with Skype and Zoom. Um, and that was only possible because of several years of work by the, by the Trump folks. And this has been very important for the elderly. Just, just two months in last year, uh, a third of the seniors in the cities and a fifth of them out in the uh, rural areas had at least one telehealth uh, visit with a doctor. And that's just going to get better and better. And there's no better way to treat people with chronic illness than to make it as easy as possible for them to uh, relate to a doctor. Trump made it easier for people to have direct primary care, which is 24-7 care, so people don't have to go to the emergency room at nights and on weekends. We now have the ability to get insurance from an employer that you can own and take with you from job to job. That was that's really, really important when people are losing their jobs and getting laid off. So, but Trump, by the way, uh, did not talk the way I'm talking when he was out campaigning, nor did many Republican candidates. And we're just not going to be successful unless we talk to people about their needs and how the conservative reforms to healthcare help meet those needs. Well, thank you, John. I think a, a good reminder of the contrast between goals, between where the left is driving and, and where we need to be going. Um, with that, I'll turn to Doug. Um, I'll draw out for us a bit more what, isn't a, what is not good for patients and people about some of these uh, so-called moderate versions of what the left wants to do with um, public options, et cetera. Yeah, the moderate Democrats want to, uh, as the president puts it, build on Obamacare. The good news about that is uh, Democrats are at least tacitly admitting that John is right, that Obamacare is an unattractive product at an unattractive price. And um, they've dropped all the stuff about it was Trump's fault. It was Trump's sabotage. It was, um, you know, it was the repeal of the individual mandate. And they basically said, you know, John's right. Nobody wants to pay 22,000 a year, uh, you know, in, in deductibles and premiums. Unfortunately, the solution is not to make healthcare more affordable or to bring the competition that would give families choices among plans, including plans that would uh, uh, cover uh, places like MD Anderson and, and so forth. The idea is just to put more government money into it. So we're not gonna reduce the premiums we're going to increase the subsidies. So most of the money that was in the temporary extension of Obamacare that was passed uh, last month uh, goes to people who already have subsidies and also for the first time to people in the top two income quintiles. So we're making the wealthiest people in the country, we're, we're admitting that even they don't wanna pay these premiums and so, uh, we're going to subsidize them. So it's about a, about a third increase, about $34 billion in new spending, very little uh, increase in the number of uh, newly insured. And if, as we're hearing, uh, President Biden proposes now to make those permanent 
expansions. Uh, then uh, Chris Jacobs has written about this and, and uh, CBO intimated it. Then what we're going to see is employers dropping coverage and putting people onto subsidized coverage in the exchanges. So they have the right diagnosis, uh, they, they have the wrong solution. As far as Medicaid expansion, everything John said about uh, the ACA policies is even more true of Medicaid in terms of not being able to get uh, access to specialists, having narrow networks. Um, it's the worst uh, possible form of coverage. Some people refer to Obamacare coverage as Medicaid plus, um, essentially uh, for those reasons. And ultimately, we're not giving middle-income people or low-income people choices in their healthcare coverage. We're hurting them into the exchanges with uh, at, at great expense to federal taxpayers, or we're hurting them into Medicaid HMOs, which we know are not providing the best level of care uh, to these individuals. Thank you, Doug. Um, Dean, do you want to build on this? What's what's wrong with the the left is sort of in this debate between how far do they go to their ultimate vision, and that ultimate vision really is outline private coverage and putting us all in one government-run plan, which is supported by a majority of Democrats in the House, the Vice President, and the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So a considerable amount of support for what once seemed like a far-ranging radical idea. Um, Dean, what's wrong with that idea? Audio. I think uh, maybe back up and turn your, your light on. There you go. All right. It would be a rare meeting when I didn't do that. Uh, government health care is like gas station sushi. Why would you prefer that when you have so many better options? In a sense, what the left wants to do and have wanted to do for a century is to put the post office in charge of our health care. That doesn't seem like a good idea. And as we all know, it's not a, bad, not a good idea. We see it's a bad idea in country after country. And yet we've been moving in that direction. And I agree with uh, what my fellow panelists have said. Uh, the fact is that uh, the left is admitting that all the silos they've built over the decades are not working very well. So they keep having to try to build on them. And they're at the point now where they're very excited about the idea of consolidating all of those silos into one big silo. But what we on the right say and we at uh, Americans for Prosperity, which I'm proud to represent, we're a national grassroots advocacy organization. We say, why not trust people? Ultimately, the whole healthcare debate is about one question. Who do you trust? Who do you trust with your healthcare, the government or your own doctor? And I think most people say your own doctor. In fact, our polling has shown that Americans are not looking for an overhaul or revolution in healthcare. They're looking to fix what's broken and build on what works. And that means taking incremental steps in the right direction. And uh, at uh, Americans for Prosperity, we say, let's instead of a government uh, option or a public option, let's have a personal option. Let's give people more, you know, let's give you the choice and control you want, access to the medical professionals you trust at a price you can afford with the quality you deserve. Isn't that what Americans really want in healthcare? The truck driver, 
the waitress, the man who mows lawns for a living. They're the people that make this country go. They deserve something better than all the left-wing silos that have been built over the years. And I'll, I'll just finish uh, with, with an old joke. Uh, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. Same thing with the conservative movement and healthcare. We have to really want to win. We have to really want to deliver. And that's why we need to fight hard against a public option and for a personal option. Yeah, you know, I've, I was on Medicaid for four months in DC and they, not a single one of my doctors would see me. Um, so I can definitely attest to that is not what we wanna give people. We want people to be able to see the doctors they need to see when they need to see them. Um, and I wanna to go to Dan because conservatives have so often just said no to something. And that's, you know, there's a place and a time when we need to say no, but why is it not enough to just say no um, in this moment uh, under these circumstances to the left's ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously, yeah, we've been good at saying no. I think the public is well aware that we're opposed to Obamacare. They're probably pretty well aware that we're opposed to government-run care or socialized medicine or Medicare for all, however we wanna brand it. Um, but I don't think there's enough clarity about, you know, what. Uh, what would we would do differently, what we would bring to the table, uh, what kind of vision we have to make their lives better. Uh, and if we if we continue to focus the debate on trying to, you know, stop Bernie Sanders care or, you know, whatever the next iteration is, uh, I think we're missing an opportunity. Uh, we're missing an opportunity to to bring what I think, you know, there are a lot of good ideas around the movement. Uh, you know, people involved in this discussion, the groups that you represent, uh, many others. Uh, that have put a lot of good ideas uh, together. The RSC, I mean, we've, we've over the last couple of years, put a, a lot of thought down, put a lot of ideas down on paper, turning more ideas into legislation on a, you know, almost weekly basis at this point. Um, we're trying to build the bench for, you know, what that vision is. Um, and it, so I think we've got to get better at talking about it. But some of it is, as I mentioned earlier, is getting out of that defensive posture and and, and being confident that we have, the solutions that we can go and answer uh, complicated questions uh, about complicated issues, um, and uh, you know, bring a vision forward that uh, you know people would like. Uh, you know, healthcare is frustrating. I think a lot of a lot of people are frustrated with the system. Uh, they're frustrated. They were frustrated before Obamacare. They're frustrated now under Obamacare. They don't necessarily want to hear a blame game about who broke it, but they do want to hear ideas about you know who's willing to fix it, who's willing to step up with. Uh, the ideas and the concepts and vision to to make it better. Um, and I think the fact that we haven't done enough of the latter part of that equation is why uh, you know the left has built some momentum for some of these radical ideas that I think you know are very dangerous for the country. Uh, so we have a uh, we have a, as I mentioned earlier moral obligation to uh, you know go and and fight for something different uh, to not uh, say well this is an issue of the left and you know we're just going to try to Fight off their bad ideas, and you know, do the best that we can. No, we need to. We need to be, uh, you know, in the fight on a daily basis, making the case for, you know, why we would, uh, why our vision would, uh, we, would be better. You know, why we would have better healthcare. It's more personal, more affordable, easier to access, and, and with more choices. Um, all things that I think, you know, the average person out there would would like to see in their in their healthcare. Let's talk about let's talk about reform plans. Um, Doug, some say that uh, conservatives are so disorganized in healthcare um, and, they, and that they don't have a plan. 
um, and they don't have any solutions. So don't trust them because when they had the chance to do this, they flubbed it so much as we were talking about earlier. Is there um, something else you should be aware of as, as an answer to that narrative? Sure, I think um, many of us uh, in the conservative movement uh, learned from the failures of 2017 as Congressman Banks urged. And um, over the last several years, under the leadership of Grace Marie Turner of Galen Institute and uh, our intrepid moderator, Marie Fishpaw of Heritage, uh, have run a consensus group. Uh, Dean has been part of it. John has been part of it. Uh, Dan has uh, participated in some of our meetings. We have people from around the country. And we've worked together to come up with a proposal that um, has been scored as reducing premiums by 24%, increasing coverage by 4 million people, uh, increasing access to providers, and doing a much better job of providing quality care to people with pre-existing medical uh, conditions. So how do we do this? It's called the Healthcare Choices Plan, and it is very similar to the plan developed by the Re Republican Study Committee that was uh, re released last year. We do it specifically by putting doctors and patients at the center of, of the process. That means choice of health plans. Now that includes plans that will cover people with pre-existing conditions, but there will be other, uh, other uh, products and arrangements out there as well. And it's not just choice of health plans for people who can afford it. We wanna give low income people control over the subsidies they receive. So instead of herding them into Medicaid or into some other uh, plan, they they get to control the assistance and and sign up with the uh, the coverage of uh, their choice. It's not just choice of health plans; it's also other health delivery arrangements like direct primary care, uh, health sharing arrangements. It's expansions of um, health savings accounts uh, to allow people to uh, control more of their assistance. It's allowing employers to, instead of you know providing a health plan, to provide their workers with accounts that they could use to buy coverage that they own and can take with them uh, from job to job. It's about a market-based place with competition price transparency that uh, Representative Banks uh, mentioned earlier, so that consumers know what the prices are going to be of, of, of the care before uh, they access it. And so the providers have to uh, compete on price. It, it deals with the issue of consolidation, hospital consolidation, where monopolies and duopolies uh, are able to drive up plans and keep out uh, competitors. So it's, it's a comprehensive plan um, and it is something that we've had a broad uh, swath of conservatives working with us on. Um, and we do believe it's uh, again, very close to what the RSC has, has proposed as well. We think it's a great starting point for uh, doing exactly what Representative Banks uh, has proposed so that 2025 isn't a repeat of uh, 2017. I, I'm seeing John lean in. Am I reading you right that you might have some more to add there, John? I know you've done a lot of writing on, on what comes next. Well, I think that uh, conservatives made the mistake for 10 years 
of saying they wanted to abolish Obamacare. And that just became rhetoric. And they did a very poor job of explaining why they wanted to abolish Obamacare. Now, the sad thing, as far as I'm concerned, is they never held a hearing. Never once held a hearing on the high deductibles or the narrow networks. I mean, they could have had the patient come in who's got a brain tumor who couldn't afford the MRI scan because she's got that sky high deductible. They could have brought in people who were special cancer patients that needed to, you know, certain specialists that aren't in the network. And, you know, with Obamacare, uh, patients choose once a year and all during the year, the network, the, the insurers can change their network at the drop of a hat. So we should have held hearings. We should have been very clear about what we don't like and what we want to change. Um, and, and voters are going to respond better to that than, uh, than rhetoric. Well, on rhetoric then, um, some say, uh, often say that the left cares about people who are sick, particularly people who have pre-existing conditions, and that conservatives don't. Now, if that's true, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, John, is it true? And if not, why not? And, and what do conservatives have to say in this answer that's better than what we're getting now? Well, as you know, Marie, we, we wrote something for the Heritage Foundation on this very question. And we concluded that for many, many people with pre-existing conditions, when they went from the employer market to the individual market, their care got worse. Uh, their selection of doctors was worse. What they had to pay out of pocket was worse. So, so the Democrats did not take care of them. Uh, the Democrats, uh, and by worse, I mean not just worse than it was at work, but worse than it was before there was Obamacare. You know, here in Texas, uh, where I live, um, if you uh, went to the individual market and you were denied coverage, you went into the Texas risk pool and you had to pay a little higher premium, but you got basically a Blue Cross plan that allowed you to see any doctor and go in any hospital. Today, uh, the most popular plan is run by an entity called Centene. They're Medicaid contractors. Uh, they have a fifth of all the Obamacare plans in the whole country. What they offer is something that looks like Medicaid with a high deductible. Uh, that's not good, great insurance. It's lousy insurance. If you're sick and you have needs, medical needs, uh, you know that. So we should have had the hearings. We should have perfected our message, and we should have been clear about how we're going to make that better. Speaking of making it better, um, you know, Dean, we we've heard a lot from Democrats about the so-called public option, but you've been looking pretty hard at something called a personalized option. What is that? Why is it better than the alternative. Sure. And uh, before I answer, I want to um, agree with uh, John about the fact that uh, there is a gap between the good policy ideas that smart people at the Heritage Foundation and elsewhere have come up with and the elected officials who have to actually carry it out. We obviously fell into that gap in 2017. Now it's time to close that gap and get it done. Uh, people say that uh, folks on the right don't have a plan. Well, actually, we clearly do have a plan. That's the point of this talk, really. We have the health choices uh, plan, and that plan gives you a personal option to answer your question. And I, I alluded to it earlier, but I'll be more specific. A personal option is things like giving everyone access to a tax-free health savings account so that you get that tax break that employers get for healthcare. We're gonna shift 
voluntarily that tax break to you, the individual, if you want, so that you can buy the uh, health goods that you want, a 10 to 40% discount on every expense. That will put you in the driver's seat. That will help bring transparency and bring down costs. Also, John mentioned the health reimbursement arrangements where you can buy good portable insurance and, and Doug as well. And uh, we're for that. We're also for short-term health plans that are 50 to 80% more affordable than traditional over-regulated health plans. It's good coverage and it encourages you to buy well you're healthy. Isn't that how insurance is supposed to work? And of course, we're for removing barriers like uh, letting nurses practice to the full um, training and licensure so they don't have to be going through hoops to please a, a physician. They should just be able to deliver health care, including in rural areas. We should allow direct primary care arrangements and telehealth across state lines. And we should repeal certificate of need laws that basically say a hospital can't add a bed or a wing or a new MRI machine unless some government board says it's okay. That's crazy and it's un-American. That's our plan. Our plan gives you a personal option. We have to do all of these things. And as I said early, uh, earlier, we have to want to do them. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dean. And Doug, did you want to add anything to that? Saw you looking a little interested. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think John and Dean uh, uh, have, uh, and Dan have, have, have said it uh, quite well. Uh, conservatives need to be clear they need to be addressing people, not speaking in jargon. Uh, understand what people want, which is affordable health care. They want to be in control of that. They want to be able to see uh, the doctors of their choice and to have the wherewithal to afford the treatments uh, that those doctors uh, afford. Um, and low income people. I believe want and deserve access to the best coverage, not being relegated to the sorts of coverage that they get in through Medicaid uh, HMOs or through the uh, subsidized Obamacare exchanges. These are things conservatives are for. These are things people want when they talk about health care. We need. Uh, we need not just to have plans and details and scores and all those important technical things that uh, Dan uh, works on for a living, uh, but we need to have the ability to talk to people in the language that they understand and to let them know why uh, the uh, policy initiatives that conservatives want align much more closely with what the people themselves want than what is being foisted on them by the left. Yeah, thank you. Now with that, I, I think we are wrapping up, gonna wrap up. Um, I would like to thank our speakers for sharing their insights today about how conservatives must and can and are leading to provide better ideas for uh, people who, who care about getting healthcare that works for them. So um, if you have any questions, please contact us. You're seeing the contact information for the people who spoke to us today. I know we would all love to continue the conversation with you. Um, and immediately following this event, you're going to see a survey. I hope you take it. It will help us continue to provide programming that meets your needs. 
Um, and to see the events we have coming up, go to heritage.org. Um, again, thank you all and have a great day.